Blog Talk Radio. Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to podcast number 313. Lucky 13. We've got a great show. Can you imagine what would happen if Buddha and Einstein walked into a bar together? Could be a pretty interesting conversation, kind of a cool bar to go to. But we're going to speak with uh, Teresa Mishler today. She is the uh, widow of author Guy Joseph Ale. And he wrote this book, Buddha and Einstein, Walk into a Bar, How New Discoveries About Mind, Body, and Energy Can Help Increase Your Longevity. And uh, we're going to find out what happened with uh, Guy and uh, go through this wonderful book that has some great exercises with some uh, pressure points and uh, mindfulness training and uh, breathing techniques. And it's really good. I've been going through it the last couple of days, and I've really learned a lot. And I've been doing this one pressure point technique where you take your thumb and your uh, forefinger and you press it uh, between like, it's like the webbing between your pinky and your ring finger. And wow, it actually makes you breathe heavily. So, uh, and release. And when you release the toxins kind of go into your bloodstream and then they come out your system through sweat or urine or however else, but uh, just little tricks like that, that you can use every day, wherever you go. And it's a really cool book and I'm really uh, thrilled to uh, host Teresa, so we're going to bring her on in a few minutes. Um, this is Guys Guys Radio, the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And so people you know, listening for the first time might say, well, what, what does that really mean? Well, uh, and for those who've heard this before, just bear with me. It all started with my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. I want to write a book about the communication chasm, the growing communication chasm between men and women. And uh, it's about a guy who was asked to write a column for a woman's publication. He doesn't want to do it. And finally, he says, women don't want to know the real truth about men. And uh, eventually, due to certain circumstances, he agrees to write it. And the name of the column is, drum roll, please, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. So it's a rom-com. It's about two guys in advertising competing love, sex, competing for love, sex, power, and money. And from there, I started uh, blogging. Similar to the main character in the book, I started writing about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness, and about men, and about giving women kind of a peek under the tent uh, and behind the scenes as to what guys are really like. The book's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. Dan Wakefield, a very famous author from the uh, from the 60s and 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, he uh, gave me that blurb, which is on the cover of the book. The book's still uh, out there. You can catch it on Amazon, probably the easiest way to get it. If you want to support my work, I would ask you pick up pick up a copy of the book. It's fun. It's a rom-com. It's a novel, I believe, in the power of story. So long story short, from there, we started Guys Guys Radio. And initially, I, I was just interviewing dating experts, relationship experts, and then Publicists started sending me authors and metaphysical healers and channelers. And, and through my own connections, I got some people in show business on and actor, comedians, um, fantasy football experts, fantasy sports experts overall. And I just decided just to kind of say yes. Just I kept getting people on there. As long as I liked what they were doing in their message, I brought them on the show. The show is not a confrontational show. And I, I was saying to myself over the last six months, because I've been bootstrapping this and slowly but surely building my audience. And I said, you know, what what really what is this? What's what's going on? And then I had my little V8 moment and said, you know, what I'm doing is really well, I'll tell you what happened. I was out with my producer, who's a millennial. He's a really cool guy. And he said to me, you know, millennials get uh, you know, we get we get a, we get a, a, an unfair deal. We don't get a fair shake. And he's, uh, I agree with it 100%. You know, too often in business, 
uh, millennials now, they're hired to do internships. They don't get paid. And it's, it's, just, it's just wrong. He said, you know, we didn't create. We're being blamed for a world we didn't create. And it wasn't us who wanted participation trophies. You guys gave it to us. He said, we're really looking for some guidance from, you know, people who are regular guys, like a guy's guy, who can help us through experience and not be preachy, but offer up kind of a smorgasbord. This is not his word. But a plethora of offerings about considerations, tools that can help us. And uh, that's, then I realized, like, okay, what I'm doing, it's all coming together. And that's what I'm doing. For Guys Guys Radio, we are offering an array of tools that, and techniques and beliefs and considerations that anybody can draw on, whether it's boomer guys, millennial guys, boomer win- women, GX women, millennial women. We can all, the objective is to have just expose new thinking, new ways you know, the new age movement is still pretty new. And I'd say 95% of people, they just go crunching along in their lives. They go to work, get up, they go to work, they work out, they pay their rent, they pay their mortgage, they get up and do it again. And not that many people have that much time during their prime years to really be circumspect about, is this, is this all there is? I memorized all that stuff in school. I got this, I went to this university or not. I got this job or not. And here's what I'm doing. Do I like what I'm doing? Is it my passion? And then all of a sudden, little gray hair, receding hairline, little cellulite, getting out of shape, gaining some weight. And it's like, is this all there is? Now I'm competing with younger people. Is the boss going to fire me? How am I going to get another job? I hate my job, but I can't get another one. And we go through life and under this anxiety. So what I'm doing is offering, having done that myself and having had the time through some challenges, but having had the time to go on my own personal journey here with the guys, guys kind of brand message, but to put out probably what is right now, the most important part of it, which is guys, guys radio and showcasing a lot of new thinking, a lot of new tools, a lot of new things to consider to live our best lives. So that's what I'm doing. And I needed to get that off my chest. So thank you for bearing with me because I just been interviewing people kind of like the, what I was describing, people just going through their job. Although I'm very passionate, I really love what I'm doing. I started to ask myself, well, okay, what, what is my brand? What is my message? What is, my, what is my service? How am I serving? What am I really doing? And it's kind of all coming together now. So I'm thrilled about that. All right. We're going to bring Teresa out in a few moments. Let me just go quickly go through some of the things going on in the guys, guys world. Cause I'm going to get on a little bit of a soap opera soap box tonight, not a soap opera, but a soap box. You know, first I was kind of upset when I saw our president get in front of the UN. I like the fact that Trump is a disruptor. I think that's great. Things need to be disrupted. Uh, but disrupt, disrupting for the sake of disruption is not a good thing. I like the fact that he's highlighted some issues that we should all think about, whether it's border security or, you know, giving a lot of money to other parts of the world where are they our friends or not? I, I think, you know, putting other countries on notice personally is, is not a bad thing. Now, I'm not saying stop contributing, but the world has changed dramatically over these past 60, 70 years that we've been really footing the bill for everything. And of course, we get a lot back and we've exploited and plundered a lot of other countries around the world. But at a certain point, a lot of these countries have grown up now. They have bustling economies. And the U.S. has a trillion-dollar debt. So we have to kind of rethink things. And you can't just flip a switch and say, we're not giving money anymore. Or, you know, with these tariffs and the trade war with China, that's not – you have to have a discussion. You have to find ways where it's a win-win for everybody. And just getting into a beef, whether it's the, you know, the media, the Justice Department, the FBI – Basically, every other country in the world, except where there are dictators, he has a problem with. And I don't like that. And I don't like the fact that he got up in front of the U.N. and was kind of patting himself on the back. And he did get laughed at. And he didn't even realize that they were laughing at him, not with him. When they laugh at our president, they're laughing at our country. And they're laughing at us for putting a guy like that in office. And, you know, he, you know, it, he missed a great opportunity to be a fantastic president because He's highlighting a lot of issues that are important. 
and yet he's dropping the ball because he is a divisive individual. And nobody, I don't care if you support Trump or not, you have to agree with he's being very decisive, divisive and doesn't help. So what else do we have now with the Supreme Court? It's become a political football where, and I know Democrats do the same thing, but the Republicans are running the ball up the middle trying to get this guy Kavanaugh um, through before the midterm elections. Now that's political in itself. There's no reason. This is a lifetime appointment. The Supreme Court, it's not the guy who's going to be there for five years. He's 53. It's a lifetime appointment. He could be on, on that job for 35 years. It's important that he gets vetted properly. Now the third woman has come out and said, you know, this guy's kind of drunken frat boy. We, he, he's pulled some shenanigans. And yes, a long time ago, well, we have to hear these people out and get to the bottom of like, what's this guy's character really like? I don't know, but let's, let's hear it out. Our president, however, on the other hand, is basically saying, oh, they're false accusations. How does he know? You don't know. I don't know. The only people that know are these three women and Brett Kavanaugh. And you know what? Somebody's lying. And I hope it's not the person who probably will become the next Supreme Court justice. So we have to be careful. Was the timing political by the Democrats on this? I think so. Is that right? No, it's not right. But it's like they're playing hardball there in Washington now. It's a real battle for power. So we'll see what happens with this. Tomorrow's a big day. I think uh, the first person who uh, made these accusations, uh, the doctor, she's going to uh, Dr. Ford, I believe is her name. She's going to uh, uh, have her day with the Senate, I guess. Um, they, apparently, there's no FBI investigation. You know, it's interesting that the, the third accuser, she's represented by Michael Avenetti. He's the guy who was uh, representing Stormy Daniels. And I don't know, but for whatever reason, and he's been very vocal, and he's really challenged and threatened Trump to you know, depose him for, with the Stormy Daniels case, and in this case also subpoena him and all kinds of stuff. Trump has never mentioned this guy's name for whatever reason. Anybody who usually takes a, a slap at Trump, he tries to squash them. He has not, and I'm just curious why, he's not said one thing about this guy. And I don't think it's strategically because, well, this guy won't say anything because I don't want to shine any light on him and give him any publicity. I don't think it's that. It's something, but I don't know what it is. So we'll see what happens. It's a very interesting time and a, a, a tipping point in a lot of ways for our country because, you know, let's just face it. The Supreme Court, when you get – you're on the Supreme Court, it's a lifetime, which I think is ridiculous. It's a lifetime job. I mean, 35 years for the same person? I mean, really. And when it's being politicized, then it becomes a, a real uh, cat and mouse game here. So hope we can get past that. Um, what else is happening? Also, our president was going on and on trashing socialism, socialism, the evils of socialism. Well, there's a thing in our country. It's called Social Security. Is that socialism? Is Medicare socialism? Is Medicaid socialism? These are all federal programs that were implemented to help workers, help people who, who because I read a new statistic today. One percent of the people in the world have amassed over the last 10 years, 100, they own now 100 trillion dollars. So one percent of the people own almost all the wealth in the world. Is that a good thing? Do you think it's a good thing, whether you're Republican or Democrat? Is that a good thing that one percent owns 99 percent of the money? Think about it. Uh, so anyhow, the other thing is India who I think Trump pointed out is like one of our, uh, you know, buddies, one of our friends, they just announced a program to give free health care to 500 million people, a lot of them very poor. And we remain one of the only countries that does not have some type of uh, national health care plan. Everybody trashes Obamacare. Well, you know, Obama could not get anything done unless he let the insurance companies kind of drive the truck. So he let them drive and then, then the Republicans trashed it. We don't have an alternative. And we spend $660 billion a year on our military. It's more than the next six countries combined, and that includes Russia and China. Yet we just upped our budget by $60 billion. If you took that $60 billion and put it against health care and put it against college education for people and relieving college debt, 
could probably really help our country in the long run because the number one thing long-term, in my opinion, to help the country is education. You start cutting educational programs, what's going to happen? People get involved a lot of times in crime. Crime, people go to jail. Taxpayers have to pay for jail. Jails are privatized now. They're in business. Incarceration means business for them, means revenue. It's just a nasty uh, revolving door, and it's a vicious cycle. So let's all think a little bit more, okay, people? Thanks. Weather in New York City. I'm always amazed by weather in New York City because over the years, it's changed. It's like tro- we have like tropical weather here now. Today is September 26th, and today it went up to like high 70s, about 80, and super humid. I always recall September being the most beautiful month of the year. Crisp, cool, 70 to 75 degrees at night going down to the 60s. No humidity, sparkling sunshine. Yet this month, for whatever reason, then this year, it's been gloomy, rainy. We just came through a battering two days of rain, a day and a half of rain, rather. Just I got two flood warnings on my phone, which I never get. Just incredible amount of rain. And uh, then the sun peaked out late in the day, but it was super humid. Now it's warm and humid. It's so weird. People don't know how to dress. Not that that's that big an issue, but the weather keeps changing. And it's very tropical, even in a place like New York City. The weather, I'm telling you, it's tropical. We get these warm, humid winds all the time now. Very strange. Anyhow, enough about me. Enough about all of this stuff. Got to think positive to make positive things happen. But I had to get a couple of things off my chest. Maybe it's because right before the show, I don't know if you guys drink kombucha. I love it. I don't drink soda anymore. And I switched over to kombucha a couple of years ago. And I absolutely love it. And there was a new flavor of uh, kombucha called Euphoria by uh, Synergy. And um, the big, whatever, whoever the big kombucha one, the ones that were kind of there first, uh, forgive me if uh, the name slips my mind, the brand, but it's delicious stuff. And, um, so I brought it home. I put it in the refrigerator. Now I had it in my backpack and I was shaking it around. I'm sure I put it in the refrigerator for about two hours. I opened it up and half the bottle came out the top. I lost it <clears throat> all over the counter, but it was delicious. So after the show, I'll have some, <coughs> excuse me. I'm going to have to have a little sparkling water here. Ah, Thank you. So, that's what's going on in my world. So we're going to get into our, <clears throat> the meat of our show with our special guest, Teresa Missler, right after we take a quick break. And do you know what you're listening to? You're listening to the Guys Guy Radio. All right, we're back. Guys Guys Radio. Special guest, Teresa Mishler. Let me tell you a little bit about Teresa. Again, we're going to cover her uh, late husband's book, Buddha and Einstein Walk Into a Bar, Guy Joseph Ale. How new discoveries about mind, body, and energy can help increase your longevity. So Teresa is a DBA, a COO of Lifespan Seminar. She's a renowned workshop leader and coach. She conducts seminars internationally for corporations and organizations, as well as for individual group sessions. She has a doctorate in counseling psychology from Young Scientists University. In recognition of her findings and contributions made so far to the field of human lifespan, she's a member of the Futurist Advisory Board of the Lifeboat Foundation. She serves as a council member uh, for USA of Chamber of Chartered Java Professionals International and is a member of the Beverly Hills Chamber of Commerce. Whoa. And she's a certified yoga instructor in the vinyasa flow, yin, and restorative yoga. So my pleasure to bring on to Guys Guys Radio, Teresa Mishler. Good evening, Teresa. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Good evening. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So let's, uh, let's, start talk, let's talk about your book. And um, if you don't mind, I think the elephant in the room is the fact that your husband passed and uh, he wrote this book about longevity. So what, what happened? And what happened with the book and how, how, what's been your journey? And my condolences, of course, on your loss, because he's what a fascinating man. Thank you so much. He was a fascinating man. And what happened was he, um, 
he had what's called, it was a very rare form of lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. Mm-hmm. And it was called CNS, lymphoma of the central nervous system. He began to have symptoms in January, and it was very aggressive. And then he passed in April. Wow. Um, before that, he was, yes. Um, before that, he was, he, it started out, he was dizzy. And then he started to forget how to do simple tasks, and then he um, he declined because what was happening was the disease was attacking his brain and spinal mm-hmm. cord. Got it. And it, like I said, it's very very rare and the least um, researched um, type of lymphoma. So um, unfortunately. It it's very hard to diagnose and um, very hard to treat. And the doctors, to this day, they don't know why he got it. Um, they think it's genetic. But before he acquired the disease, he um, was a perfectly healthy, strong, vibrant man, lived life mm-hmm. to his fullest, um, hardly had any health problems, very, very healthy. And um, then he came down with this. And I know that it's an elephant in the room because the book is about longevity. Exactly. So the best thing that I can, <laughs> the best, best way I can explain this. And epigenetics. Um, yes. So the way that I can explain this is there's, there's one thing that he talks about when he talks about sensing how long you can live. He says, the, sensing how long you can live is a potential. Um, granted, we make the best choices in our life, which he did. But the second thing he said was, granted, bad things don't happen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we acquire a rare disease or we're hit by a bus or we get in a car accident. And, and then, of course, we don't live until a hundred like we think that we will, but it's a potential. In other words, Mm -hmm. it's how long that somebody can live um, as long as they make the right choices in their life. And then things line up to help them reach that age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't just say, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. For him. I think that he lived his 58 years. Um, he lived more life in those years than many people do in their entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. So he definitely lived his life to his fullest. So what was his uh, inspiration and kind of trigger for writing this book? The inspiration began, um, it was back when he was living in New York and in the 90s, um, he lived there for 25 years, and he was going on these runs. And then one day when he was running, he said that he um, had this, he calls it an epiphany or, or this insight that he's going to live until he's 102 years old. And he didn't believe it at first. He ignored it. He thought it was crazy. And then it would not leave him. It would not leave him alone. It's one of, it's one of those insights that people get and it won't leave them alone. And then it, you know, inspires them to write a book or do something about it. And that's what happened with him. He, it just would not leave him alone. And then because of that, he thought, what am I going to do with this? And so he started researching um, longevity and, and, thinking to himself, how, you know, how, how am I going to live until I'm 102? Um, mm-hmm. what, what will have to take place? And that's where it all began, and that's where his research began, and he really delved into it and, and worked in it for over 20 years. Okay. Let's get into some of the meat of the book, because I think there's a lot of great tips for our listeners in terms of how they can yes. like, have longevity and get the best out of life. So. Um, let's pick out a couple of things here. Um, I had mentioned the, the pressure points. Um, 
that are incredible because I was so he gives a lot of exercises in the in the book things you can do and one of the things was the pressure points where you know taking the thumb and the forefinger between the webbing between your uh, uh, ring finger and your pinky and so on and so forth and throughout the body and then doing ringer ringer muscle exercise and things like that can you talk about the um, some of these things that people can do on their own oh yes absolutely um, the pressure points and the ring muscles that you mentioned are so great because they're so practical, um, especially the pressure points, because um, somebody can do pressure points anywhere they're at. I mean, an example is if they're, they're riding a train or a bus home from work or mm-hmm. even when they're driving. On the train. Great. Excellent. That's wonderful. Or or even in in the middle of a work day um, because they don't draw any attention to someone. Mm-hmm. And an example, a quick example of an exercise would be if you take your thumb and your forefinger and you, um, you place it, there's little craters just, just above your eyebrows. Um, where the nose meets your forehead, and you start, mm-hmm. and you you put you place your thumb and forefinger right there, and you start rubbing that area. And what will happen is, if you have any pent up tension, it helps to release the tension from your body, and um, and relieve the stress. And it's a wonderful thing to do in the middle of a work day. Or even okay. so, I'm on doing your way it right now, Teresa. I'm doing that right now. And is this is, should I be like pinching because you can't really be rubbing your thumb and your forefinger. You have to have the thumb on one side and the forefinger on the other, over the bridge of the nose, right? Right between, right below yes. your eyebrows, kind of, and that little soft, uh, fleshy area. Yes, you take your thumb and your forefinger and you put it on either side of your nose bridge. You put your forefinger on one side. Okay. Of of your nose bridge and then your thumb on the other side. Got it. And then okay. what you'll do is you'll simultaneously just rub it. Mhm. And you take your time. Mhm. And then eventually you will start to um, experience you know, deep sighs or your body just relaxing. Yes. Well, that's what and I that got when I did the tension leaving your body. Yep, I got that's exactly what I got when I did the uh, the thumb and the forefinger between the on the webbing between the ring finger and the index of, uh, ring finger and the pinky, and then I worked through each of those fingers. And in that webbing, um, guy says that you know you'll feel some nodules and things like that. And I don't know which what they're connected to, but for instance, I noticed a little something between my ring finger and my middle finger so I'm working that and I do each one and it does it makes you kind of sigh and take it want to take a deep breath and release and apparently according to a guy that will like release the uh, toxins so they go through your bloodstream and then out your body is that, is that correct yes that's correct um, because what happens is we hold you know so much tension and Right. And really, a lot of experiences in our body. Um, in other words, our body is it's a repository of everything that we experience. Mm-hmm. Everything from elation, sadness, frustration, etc. It, it's all kept in our body, and a lot of times we don't let it out. And yeah. And what happens if we we keep in the negative in our in our body, such so as stress or sadness? Or, pain or fear, then over time that causes problems. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the, for in, the for instance, releases that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I took, uh, after yeah. I had actually a, a little scary bout, uh, had the growth on each kidney about four years ago and thankfully everything's fine. But I went through then Ayurvedic, uh, protocols afterwards, uh, and um, one of the things they did was they used magnets and asked for my intention and they put the mag, they did some type of test and they said, you have this kind of emotional 
pain stored in this organ of your body, and it came from when you were X years old. And then they used magnets, and I intended the magnet to pull that out. And what I've been doing now on my own is uh, every day saying I'm releasing any type of stored up emotion, poison, toxins, whatever, in any organ or any area in my body that's been stored up and release those. And I would think Guy would be right in, in that wheelhouse in terms of believing that stuff, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's very um, similar. Now, uh, you, in the book, for the benefit of our listeners, epigenetics, I don't think a lot of people know exactly. It's been, it's on the, it's, it's been, it, the word's getting out there, the term, but and my understanding is like characteristics are passed down from generation to generation, but they're not necessarily in the gene. So what it means is just because three, your father and your grandfather and your grandfather, great grandfather all died of a heart attack at 50. That doesn't mean you're going to die at 50. There's things you can do. Is that, is that correct uh, depiction? Yes. Um, that is a great um, depiction because it's, it um, it's a field. It just it goes beyond an old notion of nature versus nurture, like you mentioned. Where mm-hmm. if you think that you know everybody in your family died when they're fifty, that is believing the, the nature aspect. Um, but what epigenetics does is it says that nature and nurture play an important role in forming full existence of life. Um, the premise is that DNA is not the determining element in a person's quality and quantity of life, but something that can be tinkered with and bent to our will. Um, our thoughts, they affect our genes and not the other way around. Um, so just like we were talking about earlier, where we have pent up feelings in our body and it, it affects mm-hmm. the body. Uh, the mind controls the body. Um, so DNA is not set, and and we can you know change it by the thoughts we have every day, and also by the choices we make. Got it. Um, also talks about uh, the importance of breath. There's a lot about breath, and it's one of these things where uh, you know my wife is a yogi like yourself. She actually hatha yoga. She teaches yoga teachers. She's been trained down in Yogaville in Virginia and with the highest level people and everything. And she's all about breathing. And she's like, stop breathing that way to me. Cause I'm, she's thinking I'm like a, you know, like a panther type of thing. She goes, you only get so many breaths. So you're using them up. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So, and there, and I understand, and there is an importance and most of us don't, we react that is the way we breathe. We don't control our breath. So talk to us, Teresa, about the importance of managing your breath and how we can do it. Managing our breath is so important. Um, breath is one of those things that um, we don't think about unless we were conscious of it. It's just something that just happens um, in order for us to live. So um, it oftentimes we... Um, we we don't think about our breathing, but it actually is affecting us if we're not breathing properly. So when we learn to master our breath, we can be in control in every situation in life. A perfect example is um, a lot of times if we're in a frightful situation, the natural tendency is to stiffen the breath to become shallow or even to hold our breath. Um, so what breathing exercises do for us is they help us be in control, even when we're afraid or regardless of any situation we're in. And, and also an important point that Guy says in the book is the quality of our breath indicates how balanced and aligned the dis- different systems of our body are at any given time. So, um, the bottom line with breath is that whatever negative circumstances we encounter, we can always draw inside. We can center ourselves and regulate our breath. Okay. So learning can how you, to breathe properly just that's is a game changer. Okay. Could you, uh, because most of us like myself are like chest breathers 
<laughs> and uh, still in the caveman state. And it's it's not easy to make that switch because you know you it's it's an unconscious thing, and this is asking us to be conscious, more conscious about changing our breath. So for a lot of people who probably do the same thing as I have been accused of doing, uh, help us in terms of how we can kind of slow down the breath and get get a handle on it, get that steering wheel for the breath. Sure. Sure. I'll go over a uh, quick exercise. Um, this is something that just like pressure points can be done anywhere at any time. Um, so you get comfortable. Um, start to concentrate on your breath and make sure that it's steady, even, and free. So you inhale on the count of five and then exhale without count. Then you inhale again on the count of five, exhale without count, and you repeat that sequence three times. And then you inhale without count and exhale on the count of five. And then repeat that sequence three times. And then inhale on the count of ten. And at this point, it helps to use your fingers as a visual reminder so you don't exert yourself mentally while you're counting to 10. Then you exhale without count, and you'll repeat this sequence three times. And then if you can, you inhale on the count of 15 or 12, depending on what you're comfortable with. You exhale without count and repeat that three times. And then you inhale without count and exhale on the count of 15 or 12. And that's an exercise that um, helps you get in control of your breath and also just release stress and any uh, you know, pent-up tension in your body. Okay. Now, I would think uh, that that might be – a lot of people have trouble uh, in modern society uh, sleeping. And I would think that uh, yes. is this a good one to do when you're laying, lying in bed? Yes. Okay. It has actually helped me fall asleep before. So Great. It's, okay. it's very good. All right. Um, another concept that is uh, delved into in the book is called neuroplasticity uh, to improve daily life. Could you explain what that is and why it's important? Yes. There is a common belief in society that has been around for many years that um, – our brains are set um, at the end of childhood. And whatever we, we learned in childhood, those are the beliefs and those are the behaviors we take with us for the rest of our life, and it's very hard to change. So what um, neuroplasticity says is that um, that's not true that the brain is constantly changing and it can adapt to changing circumstances throughout a life. Um, and neuroplasticity, um, the meaning of the word neuro, neuro refers to neuron, it's the cells in our brains and nervous systems. And plasticity refers to plastic because plastic mm-hmm. is flexible and changeable. So it says that we can acquire different skills. We can memorize new information. We can adapt through experience any time in our life, regardless of our age or what's mm-hmm. happened in our past. Okay. Now, uh, another one of the t- tenets for longevity is a uh, active lifestyle. And I like that um, guy suggests, you know, if you're, I mean, I'm a boomer and I've got a lot of boomer friends and they're, most of them I talk to, they're, they're looking, they're seeking, but they don't know, they don't know what to do or they just they just go back to doing whatever they were doing, which is the job and the money and paying bills. And then then it's like, you know, it's going to be too late. You, and, I, you know, other people have had the opportunity to explore a little bit more. And it's a good thing to do because uh, he suggests guys suggest, well, like if you speak English uh, and you speak Spanish, learn Chinese, do something kind of out of your yes. uh, comfort zone. And um, here, here's an uh, I'll give you a perfect example, something I've been doing. I've been a runner. And I've lifted weights and done push-ups and all this stuff my entire life. And I realized, you know what, I, I have to change that up. So I started uh, about eight months ago doing Dan Millman 
a peaceful warrior workout. It's a four-minute workout. It's 15 mo- movements that they either work your core or stretching and twisting and loosening up your spine. And I got to tell you, my body looks different. I am super flexible. My energy is through the roof. And it's all because it's something new. And it makes everything else easier. And the other thing is I've been a runner forever. And I know, like, some t- you know, things are going to break down, the meniscus or whatever. At a certain point, your hip, at a certain point, you can't, you can't pound out the miles the way you, you could. A lot of guys I know, they switch over to, um, you know, road bikes and things like that. And um, I started swimming this summer. I actually took a couple of swimming lessons because my son was taking lessons. And, I, wow, it just opened up this whole other world. And my body said, yes, this is great. And going forward, less stress on the body, a different type of activation for the lungs and circulation system. And I attribute what Guy's saying to all of this type of thing precisely to just keep testing, adding new things. Always keep challenging yourself. Never say, like, I'm done or I'm retired or I'm this or that. Don't hold yourself back. Just keep opening things up. And that's one of the keys to longevity. Is that right, Teresa? That is absolutely right. And you learning a new workout and then a new exercise of swimming, that what that's doing is it's really opening up new synapses in your brain so that you, um, you're using you know, your brain and you're really learning a new exercise. And so what that will do is help keep you young because, because when we're always learning something new, whether it's a new language or a dance or a workout or instrument, mm-hmm. um, it keeps us young and it keeps our brain active. It's once we stop and, like you said, say, oh, I'm retired, that is when we begin to die. Mm-hmm. How about um, nutrition? So so much these days, particularly in America, where we have to be so – the food is a challenge because if you're a boomer or a GXer, you grew up and food was a certain way and now it's different. And you probably uh, – so many boomers, they keep doing the same thing, the same habits – they just haven't changed in terms of quantity of consumption and the types of food they consume. And until sometimes they don't realize like, oops, until it's too late. And then you have the millennials where they've grown up eating processed food. And now of course, there's a lot of people who are becoming more aware and, you know, veganism has grown and, you know, people are drinking kombucha and taking probiotics and not eating meat and not eating processed sugar and, white flour and all of that stuff. So there's a lot of good things happening, but there's also a lot of people who are frankly in trouble. What can, what can you, uh, what would Guy have to say about what's the way we can uh, adapt if we want to change our way we eat and what are some tips in terms of, you know, because it, it takes a while. I, I gave up meat 10 years ago, but at the beginning I got sick when I gave up meat and by getting sick, uh, I decided I'd never eat meat again because I thought I was detoxing and that's why I got sick. But for a lot of people, they're like, you know, I can't, I, I'm not giving up meat. This is just what I do. I'm, I, I like to drink and I'm not going to drink that much or I want beer or whatever it is. It's hard for people to make these mm-hmm. changes and it's not, you know, it's not an overnight thing. It's like a, you have to go like, this is a change in how I'm going to be ongoing. To, to make it work. So what are some ways and tips that Guy would suggest in terms of how to manage nutrition and the importance of it? Sorry he for made the a lot of good points. Oh, it's okay. You made a lot of good points. And, and one is that um, people don't want to give up what they like. And what Guy suggested is, and he suggests in the book is a great approach and really longer lasting approach to good nutrition is just to learn the basic rules, which is eat everything you like in moderation and know the basic rules of good nutrition, which is get most of your nutrients from vegetables, fruits, nuts, and other protein sources such as soya products. And if you eat meat, poultry and fish. So it doesn't say just don't eat meat. If you're a meat eater, eat lean poultry and fish, um, and then beans and seeds, and then satisfy all your cravings in a responsible manner. Meaning if you want that chocolate cake one day or 
that beer or or something that mm-hmm. makes you happy, then have it and just satisfy it. But make it like a once in a while thing. But get most of the you know, nutrients from you know the vegetables and fruits. And a good way to start, especially you're not used to eating fruits and vegetables, is start with um, dried fruits, such as mm-hmm. figs, dates, papaya, cherries, and mango. They're, they're delicious, and they're a great, great way to transition to eating like fruits and vegetables. What, Nutrition what is a very, like, it's a personal experience, and it's mm-hmm. hard for people to change. So yeah. that's why, you know, it's, it's all about baby steps. I'm not sure if I, and forgive me, because I kind of power read the book, and I, I, don't, I don't remember everything, but did he, uh, and I didn't recall seeing anything about fasting. So I was wondering, even if it's not in the book, what was Guy's viewpoints about fasting? Because a lot of people are, you know, dabbling with that now, whether it's intermittent fasting or just all out fasting for a week or whatever. And you're a That's yogi, a so question. you're aware of that. Yes, I'm very aware of that. That's a good question. Um, Guy did not uh, mention that in the book. And it's not something you really focused on. Um, I think it's a personal choice. And then somebody should, you know, go to the right experts regarding fasting. Okay. Um, You're a yogi, so you're familiar with this, the importance of meditation. And so many people have, uh, and uh, also he has one of the meditations, meditating on abundance. So I'd like to talk about that for two reasons. One is, People, a lot of people don't, they, they're, mon- they got too much monkey. We all do. There's so much monkey chatter going on. It's hard to slow down and have no thought. And so people have difficulty meditating. So maybe you can give a couple of tips on simple meditation. And secondly, if you could talk about the guy mentions in the book, a meditation for abundance, because there's so many people out there who want to manifest and it's all, you know, money and I want a Cadillac or whatever it is. And they're going about doing it the wrong way. So could you talk a little bit about his meditation itself? the benefits, and then how to meditate specifically for abundance. Yes. Um, there are so many benefits of meditation, and, and meditation is is one of the things that you know, personally changed my life and also changed Guy's life. Um, the I would think the main uh, benefit of meditation is that it calms the mind, and then calms the body and then enables the body to regain its balance. And that is, that is key because a lot of times our body is just out of balance in this modern world. So it allows us to calm down, relax and focus inward when 90% of the time we're always focusing outward and it can really change our life. Okay. Um, how about that meditation for abundance that he mentions in the book? Yes. Uh, with meditation on abundance, what he focuses on is, is overall abundance, not just a car or I want more money, but, but what really makes us a, you have a well-rounded life, a loving relationship, health, a good job, a home, and um, and so that's what he focuses on. And I can go over a, a quick exercise, yeah. meditation on abundance. Okay, sure. So you lie or sit down in your favorite place. Uh, you make yourself comfortable. This is something you can do in the evening or in the morning before you leave for work. Um, you just start to establish a free, deep, and steady pattern of breath. And you'll be running a quick mental checklist through your limbs. And that way you start to access how your body feels. And then at that point, the body will talk to you and tell you if it needs to stretch, yawn, or roll your shoulders. And then you, um, you, feel, you want to feel a free flow of energy in your body. So you start directing your attention to each separate limb. So you start farthest away from your head. 
and you start to breathe into each limb of um, your body. So you'll start with your feet and then go one after the other, um, meaning start for your feet and then go up to your ankles, and then you'll go up to your, your legs, and then to your pelvis, your abdomen, your chest, and your shoulders. And what you're doing in each part of your body is you're breathing in and breathing out. And then you go down to your arms, your elbows, your hands. And then you do the same with your fingers, one at a time, your left hand and then your right hand. Then you'll shake both your hands and exhale simultaneously to release any tension. And for time's sake, I, I, will, um, I will move to the meditation on abundance. Um, after you breathe into each portion of your body, going up to your neck and then your chin and your face and then lastly your head, you will imagine a glowing sun sitting at the center of your heart. It'll fill you, fill you with a warm radiance of life, light and pleasure, and you'll sense it spreading in all directions through your chest, ribs, and back. And then you meditate on this feeling of abundance, and at the same time you'll acknowledge the blessings in your life and then think about what you're grateful for. And think about loving relationship, your health, the health of your loved ones, your job, your home, and pay attention to every significant item in your life that makes you feel happy and safe. And you register this feeling of gratitude, and it will wash through every area of your body. And you want to retain this sensation that you received of this light, peace, and richness as you begin to wrap up the exercise and rejoin your day. Excellent. Oh, thank so that you for that. Awesome. Um, okay. We're running out of time. I got two quick questions for you. Uh, one is part one is uh, uh, three tips, best tips for living uh, a life over the long, a long, healthy life, the longest, healthiest life we can. And then I want to give you kind of the floor to talk about you know, your lifespan seminar where our listeners can find you, where they can find Guy's book and, uh, and your work. And, uh, and just also thank you so much for being on Guy's Guy's Radio. So first thing, three tips for the listeners to live their best long life, longest life, and then uh, tell us about the lifespan seminar, et cetera. Three tips is um, experience gratitude daily in your life. Um, put you and your, your health first without health um, mm-hmm. then we don't have anything and then number three just just focus on what makes you passionate and what makes you feel alive I love it those are fantastic absolutely fantastic tips um, so Teresa you want to talk a little bit about um, I'll give you the floor here uh, lifespan seminar and where the listeners can find you and learn more about your work and also where they can find uh, more about Guy and the book. Yes. Um, lifespan seminar is at lifespanseminar.com. And currently I have a seminars and workshops on stress management and healthy living. And, um, and you can find more information on the website and on the first page of the website, um, there's a link to buy the book, but you can also find the book at uh, Amazon, Target, Walmart.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Indie, IndieBound.org. And um, we have a Facebook page, uh, uh, Lifespan Seminar slash Buddha and Einstein. You can also buy the book there. Fantastic. Well, listen, it's been my pleasure to uh, talk to you and meet you, 
I love the work you're doing. I love the fact that you're carrying on Guy's message here, and God bless him. Uh, he was a real, obviously, a Guy's guy. Uh, and I think the book's phenomenal. I learned a lot from it. I highly uh, endorse it. And um, and you have an incredibly uh, composed way about you that makes me feel like I must. I'm, I feel like a nervous wreck just talking to you because uh, my energy's bouncing off the walls, and you're like totally chill. So that's great. <laughs> Thank good you so you. much. Not, not, that, not that there's anything wrong with me. My energy, it's good. It's like I'm finding my no. passion. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine. But uh, um, I'm really have enjoyed speaking with you. So thank you so much, Teresa. And all the best to you. And thank you. Thank okay, you so much. Great. All right. Okay, everybody. That was our special guest, Teresa Mischler. And her book is uh, Guy Joseph Ale. Buddha and Einstein walk into a bar, how new discoveries about mind, body, and energy can help increase your longevity. So we thank her for being our guest on Guys Guys Radio. I'm going to take a super quick break, and then I'm going to have a real quick Guys Guys Guide. The Guys Guys Radio. All right, we're back on Guys Guys Radio, and we're just going to wrap up. I like to do a little Guys Guys Guide at the end if I have time, and I'm just going to squeeze in a quick one here because we're running a little bit late. Um, I found this website called Wake Up World, and there's a writer there, Carol, Carol Ann Wright. She writes some really interesting articles on there, and I read one today about salt lamps and uh, you know, putting this smorgasbord, if you will, this both buffet out of new ideas and considerations for my listeners you know, if you don't have a salt lamp, uh, you might consider one. My wife bought them. We have them in every room in the house, and I have one right behind my computer, and we have one in the bedroom, a big one in the bedroom, and another one in the living room. And they, I didn't really, I'm like, okay, salt lamp, I get it, Himalayan salt. I know it's good for you, but I didn't realize that having the lamp on is such a good thing. And what it does is a couple of things, um, ionization. Uh, the emission of ions is primarily caused by the alternating, alternating actions of the heated salt's ability to first abstract and absorb water, then evaporate it. The salt goes into a solution as it mixes with the water molecules. So there's uh, sodium there also. It's, the b- bottom line is it's about uh, generating negative ions, which help with um, dealing with uh, electromagnetic um, pollution, if you will. Um, the... Uh, what happens with Wi-Fi, your television set, your computer. There's a lot of, uh, of waves coming at us, and they're not necessarily good for us. And salt lamps, they generate negative ions, and they help dry out the air, which helps reduce these airborne pathogens like viruses, bacteria, and mold. So they're really good for you. Um, a little more about that, electromagnetic oscillation. Every form of life on the planet depends on the electromagnetic field of vibration, Due to electronics industrialization, your body receives artificial electromagnetic wavelengths with many diverse frequency values. And uh, crystal salt helps you harmonize and balance these artificial frequencies and neutralize what they call electrosmog. So something to keep in mind, one last thing, and this again, uh, the website was Wake Up World. Carol Ann Wright wrote this terrific article, and she's got some other ones too about electromagnetic radiation which we're all exposed to all the time particularly if if you live in a major urban center like new york the wavelengths of salt crystal colors fall within the upper nanometer zone which produce positive enthusing effects place the lamp in areas where you spend a good deal of time where you have high levels of positive ions by the computer tv set next to your bed and also uh put in the bedroom if you have a kid because uh uh, it, it has a calming effect also. So something to consider if you don't have any Himalayan salt lamps and you're wondering what, what are they for and why should I get one? Well, there's your reason. If you're exposed to Wi-Fi and the television and uh, your computer, etc., all this stuff coming at us all the time, Himalayan salt is a good way to neutralize that. So that's our show for this evening, Guys Guys Radio number 313. We're going to be back. We're doing two Guys Guys Radio a week until the end of the year at least. So I'm booked right through December now. We have some fascinating guests coming up, a woman by the name of Lynn Robinson. She's written a book about how to kind of manage when somebody's dying. Um, so, it's, you know, it's not in the Guys Guys relationship, dating well realm, if you will, but it's something like, you know what? All of us, particularly when you get to be in your 30s and 40s and 50s, somebody, some aging relative or parent 
dies and and everybody's caught off guard and i don't think and a lot of people nowadays are emotionally constipated and they really don't know how to deal with all this stuff and what to do logistically and and also how to feel and how to process that in a healthy way because if you really believe uh that um you are a soul inhabiting a body that you believe then that the soul lives on when the body passes but that's you know up to you depending on what you believe anyhow that's our show for this evening. We're going to talk about that on Sunday at 8 p.m. But again, you can listen to all of the 313 Guys Guys Radio podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, and TuneIn Radio. My blog is on life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. It's at robertmanni.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. So you can catch me there. Again, you want to help me out as I'm kind of bootstrapping this thing, this Guys Guys movement. As we pick up the audience, as we pick up steam, just buy my novel. That'll help out. The Guys, Guys, Guide to Love. And you can pick it up on Amazon and any of the e-tailers. It's probably the easiest place to find it right now. All right. So thanks. That's our show for this evening. We're going to see you Sunday. And uh, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.